0: the first 11 verses, we talked about domestic life. And uh, and it's important that every person understands what their role is. And in those first 11 verses, he talked about the man, you know, the leader in the home. And so that's where he started with the man. Then he spoke of the woman. And then he gave just information in general that would re- relate to the family and how we are to relate to... Each other, but now he turns our attention to civil life. And I want to repeat that society is a reflection of domestic life. We are, if the family is wrong, society is going to be wrong. And so that's where the breakdown is today. We tend, you know, to look out yonder at society and say, "Just look at what people are doing. Look at how crazy it's getting. Look how bad it's getting." And and sometimes we don't want to take any of the blame for that. It's, you know, it's always about them. We blame them. It's society, but society is determined. Whatever it is, good or bad, is determined by the state of the family as an institution. Now, tonight we begin in verse number 12, and all through the remainder of this chapter here, it deals with, with civil life in general and uh, several different subjects, but as you'll see, a lot of them relate to the matter of the tongue, and uh, that ties into what we were talking about on Sunday night. Verse 12, the wicked desireth the net of evil men, but the root of the righteous yieldeth Fruit. Well, notice that word desireth, and it just tells us, you know, people's desires and the fact that wicked people are never satisfied. Notice they desire the net of evil men. In other words, they want what others have got, and they'll do just about anything in order to get it. Uh, they've set their desires upon what others have, and, uh, and their purpose in getting it is not always with good intentions. But notice the righteous person here, because it says here that the root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. The root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. Just as the root enables the tree to produce the, the, the root of the righteous. What is the root of the righteous? Righteous. Well, it's God or the righteousness of God. The root of the righteous enables him to be fruitful. And especially you go back to Psalms, the very first chapter in Psalms, and it's such a wonderful statement there, speaking about, you know, the righteous and the, like a tree planted by the water. And, and even whenever everything else is wrong and everything else is bad because of the root system of the tree... You know, it's able to draw the moisture from the ground and able to flourish. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. The root of the righteous causes them to prosper. And so regardless of how bad it gets, God's able to take care of His own. God is able to prosper us even in the very worst of times. Verse 13, "...the wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips." You know, so much more could be said about any one of these verses, but notice here he's speaking about a net in verse number 12, and now he's speaking about the snare. The wicked is snared, and and notice how? By the transgression of his lips. But the just shall come out of trouble. Uh, So those who set out to ensnare others end up getting caught in their own trap you go back to chapter number seven, and I can't remember the exact verses there, see if I can find it, but where he talks about basically the same thing, verse number 15, therefore, let see, is that the one? Uh, no, that's not the verse I'm thinking of. Well, maybe some of you have got it memorized, but... Uh, um, it has to do, you know, the, the the fellow that would roll a stone. You can picture an ambush and he's going to roll this big boulder down on others. And he's a-pushing and a-shoving and just waiting for the right timing to, he, to destroy someone else. And it talks about it's going to turn back on him and crush him. The idea here is the same. The person who would set a snare for others, whether it's for the purpose of killing them, for the purpose of taking from them what they have or getting what they want or whatever it is, they end up being snared in their own trap. But notice, here's the flip side of the coin, the just are delivered out of trouble. Now, notice it did not say they're delivered from trouble. It did not say that they're going to be exempt. It did not say that life is going to be easy. It didn't say that there won't be any problems. But notice it says they're delivered out of trouble. And the reason for that is the fact that they have the interest of others at heart. When you talk about being just, you're talking about a person that is honest and fair in his dealings with other people. And so the just, those that are truly concerned about other people, it says they shall come out of their trouble. That's why I keep repeating that little saying, you're always best to yourself when you're good to others. And that is so true. That's what the Bible teaches. And here he says, the just shall come out of trouble. A lot of folks never come out of their trouble. They're destroyed by it. Uh, A lot of people, you know, whenever problems come, instead of them getting better, they get bitter. Uh, and, And instead of being helped by their problems, they end up getting hurt. In their problems. And it's just so good to know that even though God never promised that you won't have problems in this life, to the contrary, He told us just the opposite. He told us man's the born of woman's a few days and full of trouble. So we're going to have trouble, but notice it tells us here that He shall come out of trouble. Uh, you know, if, if God lets you get in it, God will bring you out of it. And we can, we can rely upon that. Verse 14. A man shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and, uh, and the recompense, the payback of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. And so here our attentions turn to two things. Notice he speaks about our service uh, and, and our speech, or you could say he speaks about our words and our works. And the whole point of this verse here is that good words and gracious works will be rewarded. Of course, you know, the evil man, the wicked man, uh, has evil intent. He's laying a snare for someone else. Uh, he, He wants what they got. He's going to take advantage of them any way that he can. But the person that is indeed a good person here, it says, will be satisfied with the good of his mouth and the recompense... The reward of this man's hand shall be rendered unto him. And so it's back to that same law that we talk about so much, the law of sowing and reaping. Uh, We reap what we sow. Normally, we always think about that in in terms of something bad, don't we? You know, we tell our kids, you're going to reap what you sow. You do bad, hey, judgment is going to come as a result of that. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to get hurt. You're going to do damage to others. But the same thing is just as true when it comes to good things as it is to bad things. And God rewards the righteous. And so the recompense of a man's hand shall be rendered unto him. Verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Someone said, you know, he who listens to no one but himself has a fool for a teacher. And, and that's about right. And we all probably know people like that, don't we? They're hard-headed and they're stubborn. They're not going to let anybody tell them what to do. Uh, and the fool thinks he's always right and that everybody else is wrong. But notice, the wise man knows that he doesn't know it all. He knows he doesn't know it all. You know, somebody uh, said many long years ago said young preachers are like wasps. They're bigger when they're born than any other time in their life. You know, and so a lot of times, you know, as young preachers, we start out in that first year, especially, you know, it's like, man, we we've got this nailed down. You know, we know it all. We've got a solution for every problem, and uh, and, and and so many times we develop that fix it mentality. Oh, there's something wrong in the church. I've got to fix it, you know. I've I've got to get right on that. Let me tell you, there's always going to be something wrong in the church. And sometimes the something has to do with the preacher as well as anybody else. There's always going to be something wrong. And the whole, whole fact of the matter is we can't fix everything. And we've got to learn to depend upon the Lord. And a part of that is learning to listen and recognizing the fact that we don't know it all. You know, it's uh, an humbling thing to admit, you know, I I don't know. I'll never forget when I went to uh, work for the Missouri State Highway Department. It was actually my first day uh, on the job out in the field. And so anyway, the boss took me out there and let me out and he just parked the car for a minute. And I thought, well, this is strange. Uh, just right there, you know, it was on on the grade before we got to the construction office itself. And he said, "I want to talk to you a little bit before we, uh, before I send you in and introduce you to the guys." And uh, I said, "Okay." And he, and, and, and the one thing he drove home was the fact that now, in your position, you're gonna have a lot of people, the contractor, namely, asking you questions about this and that and everything else. He says, you're not going to know all of the answers. He said, the biggest mistake you can make is pretending like you do. And if somebody asks you something and you don't know, just say, I don't know. But I'll try to find out. And, And you know, a lot of times in life, we go through life. Uh, you, you know, just putting our shoulder down as it way, well, and like a bulldozer we 're just going to push our way through life we 're not going to listen to anybody else because we want to leave the impression with them that we 've got it all figured out when we'll, really we don 't. The wise person he tells us listens to counsel now, by the way, that doesn 't mean that he 's gullible. That doesn't mean he's going to, you know, do whatever somebody says. But it's simply saying that he's willing to listen. And uh, obviously you don't want to just, you know, take for granted everything a person says. But if we're going to learn anything, we've got to learn that we don't know it all and that we can learn from others, Uh, you know. and, And, you know, it's not a sign of being inferior or dumb or anything else. To tap into that sort of source of knowledge, and so we need to learn to listen. Verse number sixteen: a fool's wrath is presently known. I mean right now, real quick, it's presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame, and the point here is the foolish person makes makes no effort to hide his anger. And, and whenever he's mad, he wants everybody to know it. And, and, and even, you know, being in public, it doesn't really make any difference to him because he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. You, you know, all of us at some time or another, we get upset about something or maybe, you know, we don't understand something. Or uh, maybe maybe we just feel very strongly about certain issues that this is really wrong and... uh and so many times we think we've got to express that. You know, we've got to put it in words. We've got to get it out there. We, we've we got to let people know that we're mad. Why can't we get mad without everybody knowing we're mad? I mean, we, we don't have to reveal our wrath to everyone else. Notice, it's just the opposite with the prudent man here, because it says he covers that as he's concealing the shame, it says. And so he's maintaining self-control and takes care to not make matters worse by making things known. And he's not through with this issue yet, as you'll see later on, uh, this matter of, uh, of you know letting everybody else know how we feel about something. Uh, if it's not going to help the situation, it's better off that you don't let everybody else know how you're feeling. Verse 17, He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, but a false witness, deceit. Wisdom and righteousness are revealed with the words that we speak. Now, the important thing about this has to do with the fact that as Christians, we're called upon to be witnesses, right? I mean, every Christian has that responsibility. And so that means that there has to, we have to be credible. There has to be some basis for why other people would believe us. And wisdom and understanding is revealed by the things that we say. And so if we expect other people to believe our testimony concerning Christ, then we better be careful about what we say and how we say it, uh, because they're going to make judgments about us and ultimately about Christ based on the things that we say. And and, and by the way, the things that we say, it doesn't have to be theological in nature... By that, I mean it doesn't have to have something to do with the church and spiritual things. It's just, you know, saying things that reveals uh, either reveals our bitterness or our jealousy or our anger or whatever it is. And that sets the tone for everything else that we say. Because when you shift gears, you know, out of the secular and into the sacred, and you're trying to all of a sudden talk to somebody about their need of the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever you've just made a fool out of yourself, you might as well forget it. The damage has been done, and there's no way you're going to get through to that person. So it says, verse number 18, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. And here again is one of those verses that tells us that words can hurt, Or they can heal. And we need to think about that, you know, before we speak. And the problem is so many times we just speak without thinking. You know, we don't stop and consider what we're saying, how it's going to be perceived by other people. And there is that speaketh like, notice, the piercings of a sword. It cuts deep, but the tongue of the wise is health. In other words, it's going to do people good. The lip of truth uh, shall be established forever, but a lying tongue but for a moment. Well, we all, we all know, based on what the Bible says, that truth is eternal. You know, what was true a thousand years ago is still true today. It'll still be true tomorrow. It'll be true ten thousand years from now. Truth is eternal, and and although. At the moment, it seems sometimes like, you know, a lie might be more profitable to us. It might be less painful for us. In the long run, truth is always the best. And, and he's saying here, the lip of truth shall be established forever. But notice, a lying tongue is but for a moment. In other words, it'll, it'll seemingly get you by and out of a situation, you know, uh, for the moment. But the truth will be established forever and and so it's important that if we consider you know the uh, take the big picture the long view we're just a whole lot better off to be honest about it yes officer uh, i was speeding i'm sorry I, I i just i wasn't paying attention yeah i i uh, yeah, I was probably going faster than what you clocked me, you know. just You might as well be honest about it because the facts don't lie, and we're a whole lot better off to just come right out and be honest. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue. Uh, that's just for a moment. Verse 20, Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. And so in the first instance here, notice those that they desire evil, they devise their evil plans, and, and it's based upon deception. That takes us all of the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Where, I mean, we see Satan at work and all through the Bible. The Bible tells us he is the father of lies. And, and, and so it, it's all based on deception. The devil doesn't come right out and tell you, you know how things are going to be. Uh, he deceives you into thinking that you're taking a better route, that you're going to, you know, prosper more by going another direction. But it's all based on lies. Every, every false religion in the world is based on some lie. And the whole thing about it is what they generally do is take some truth of the Bible that is being maybe neglected and uh, then, then they'll fabricate a lie uh, and, and build on the neglect of some particular truth. I, you know, the first thing I, th- I think of always when uh, when I talk about that is the Mormons, of course, and their big thing is the family, right? The family. Oh, the family's being neglected, you know. And boy, you, you need to come over and join with us because you know, boy, we, we the family. That's uh, uh, we're we're really uh, up on the family, and if you wanna promote the family, you need to join with us. And so a lot of people, you, you put yourself in the shoes of an unsafe person, a lot of times, well, oh, that sounds good. I like the way they think. I, You know, I agree with them. And, and first thing you know, you're off on, on the, some spiritual tangent over there, and they're selling you a load of lies. I, I, the other day, it was interesting, I started... To, it was a little joke and i started to put it on on facebook it, you know it was humorous and had to do with uh, the the kids and uh, and the amish people and uh, somebody made a comment about the fact that uh, why is it that all of the kids at this amish school and you know that or playground wherever it was that they're not screaming and yelling at each other and what have you and and the punchline was well, when was the last time that you you saw Amish people yelling at each other? Uh, you know, then I got to, I got to thinking about that, and, and all of a sudden I thought about something I saw the other day that had to do with the Amish and the bad side of it. Boy, there's some. Real, they might not scream and yell at each other, but they don't mind doing a lot of things that are totally against the Scriptures. And so the the whole point I'm trying to make here is is don't let people deceive you. Uh, And he says, Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. If they're trying to deceive you, they're up to no good. But notice, to the counselors of peace is joy. And in other words, the opposite is true of those that seek peace. And those that seek peace find what? They find joy. Well, it pays to be a peacemaker Every church needs more peacemakers in the congregation. Verse 21, there shall no evil happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. Now, the point in this verse has to do with the fact. That conduct determines consequences. And, and by the way, he's not saying here that the just will never encounter any difficulties. That's not the point. The idea is that he will not be harmed as a result of evil activities. There shall no evil happen to the, to the just. And if you'll, You know, take a concordance and look up the meaning of that word evil there. It's not like we think of it. Uh, And and the whole point is he's saying here that our life is not going to be uh, damaged. You know, those that are righteous and that, that are just in their dealings with other people. No evil shall happen to the just, but the wicked shall be filled with mischief. And so we can't stop sinful activities around us, but we can live in such a way that we're not going to be harmed by them. We might be hurt to some extent. Uh, In in fact... uh, uh, here a while back I was uh, reading a, a devotion by, I believe it was Spurgeon or someone, and it just so happened it was on this very verse here and it had to do with the difference between being harmed and being hurt. And there's a big difference. You can get hurt without being harmed. Because a lot of times the, the hurt, the pain that we go through can be something that actually helps us instead of harms us. And that's the point of this. There's no harm that will happen to the just. Uh, this, this is Romans eight twenty-eight in shoe leather. I, I mean, this is the reality of it, that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. And so something, something bad comes along, something that brings us pain. But thank God... If we have our priorities right, we're not going to be harmed by it. We might have to face it. We might have to feel the pangs of it. But we're not going to be harmed as a result of it. Verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But they that deal truly are His delight. Well, uh, you read that and the first thing that comes to my mind is that it's obvious that most people don't have the same attitude about lying that God does. Because for the most part, lying is really no big deal. You know, everybody does it. In fact, I heard a counselor just the other day saying, well, everybody lies. Well, so what? I mean, it doesn't make any difference if everybody lies, doesn't give us the right to do it. And, and the fact of the matter is the Bible tells us that God hates it. And so if we're going to please God, notice the last part, they that deal truly are his delight. That is, you know, if we're going to please God, we have to speak the truth rather than falsehood. Verse 23, a prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools... Proclaimeth foolishness. Now, as important as the truth is, every truth is not fitting for every person or every occasion. I want to repeat that. As important as truth is, every truth is not important for every person or for every occasion. Think about that. There are sometimes, for example, whenever someone, let's say they're a new Christian, uh, they've just been saved. And, and so all of a sudden we decide that, uh, you know, why don't you come over to our house we're going to have a Bible study. Well, that sounds good Let's have a Bible study. What are we going to study about? We're going to, we're going to talk tonight about predestination. I'm telling you right now, they don't need to know anything about the doctrine of predestination at that stage in their life. And regardless of who we're dealing with, there are certain truths that are at that time not appropriate for certain people. You'll remember that Paul said when talking about the immaturity of the saints at Corinth, and he said, well, you're just babes in Christ. And he says, I've had to feed you with milk. Why? Well, because they had not matured to the point that they could take strong meat. So you know he had uh, he had to give them a spiritual diet that was appropriate for them, but it not only involves the people that we're talking with; it also has to do with the occasion. And uh, I, we, several years ago, when I was in Missouri, we had a Bible conference every year, and uh, had preachers from all over that would come in. And, uh, this one preacher from Kansas City was there, and I'd met him before. Uh, may, I, might be I'd even preached for him. Well, I'm certain I had. I'd preached a revival in his church. So he came to the Bible conference that year, and being, you know, trying to be a gracious host, I, I decided I'd let him preach. And he, he got it. And, 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 by the way, had, you know, good preaching ability as far as his speaking goes. But his whole sermon had to do with the fact that Jesus had long hair, and he's going to prove it. And everybody else that didn't agree with him was wrong. And he went on and on and on. It's the only time in my life I've ever stood up and set a preacher down. And I set him down. I finally told him, "That's enough. You go take a seat. You're through." And uh, and that was after that was after telling him. Repeatedly sitting there, listening, and said, "Fell, look, brother, brother, you, you you made your point. Please just go on to another point." Well, he didn't have another point. That was it. Was going to be all about that or nothing? You, you know, even even if he had been right, you know, the Bible conference or a missions conference, uh, why would you preach a message like that? And we need to consider who we're talking to, and we need to consider the occasion, the occasion when we're speaking to that person, and make it appropriate. Well, where am I at now? Verse 24 The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, uh, but the slothful shall be under tribute. This is simply. Stating here that diligence is the path to promotion. Notice, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. They're going to be promoted. They're going to, uh, they're going to make gain. They're going to get ahead. But notice, the slothful end up where in bondage. They're under tribute. They're they're in bondage to other people, and uh, so they're in a position of servitude rather than. Rather than being a leader, I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't lag behind and get ahead. It just doesn't work. And you know, it's an amazing thing whenever you think about it and we notice the diligent shall bear rule. Let that sink in for just a little bit. You know, it's not that we all aspire to be politicians, to be in charge and, you know, to head in society and stuff like that. But I want you to think about the fact, and I'd never tied it in with this verse till just now, and it hit me like a ton of brick. Didn't Jesus say we're going to rule and reign? We're going to rule and reign with Him. And we can get, listen, we can get a head start on that, notice, by being diligent. Uh, but the slothful shall be under tribute. So many people, you know, they want to blame everybody else because they don't get ahead. And the fact of the matter is they don't get ahead because they're not willing to get up early and work hard and stay late and do what's necessary uh, to get ahead. Verse 25, heaviness, heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. This word heaviness here is evidently used in the sense of care and anxiety. And we're tied in knots. We're worried and we are fearful. And, uh, you know, these are the things that, that cause us to just get burdened down and bring despair. You know, we're just wringing our hands and we don't know what to do and what have you. You know, that's exactly why Jesus said, Take no thought for tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. You don't need to worry about it. You can't control it. You can't change it. And he tells us, don't take any thought for tomorrow. Don't worry about it, but... The Bible also says do what? Cast all of your cares upon the Lord. And notice here in the last half of this proverb here is telling us that depression can be defeated. Really, so many people want to know how can I conquer my depression. Well, notice what he says here. He says a good word maketh it, that is the heart, it makes the heart uh, glad. Now, there's two things there. Number one, we can help ourselves, I think, with what we listen to. A good word, a good word makes the heart glad. We, we gotta be careful what we listen to. You know, even whenever it comes to listening to things that, you know, like Rush Limbaugh or whatever it is, or the nightly news and, uh, Boy, after a while you just you just want to pull your hair out because all you can think of is how bad the world is. You know, that might be a good time for you just to turn off the tube and to put on a put on a good CD of Christian music or something and listen to something that is good, something that's beneficial, something that will minister to you so we can help ourselves conquer our depression and our cares by what we listen to, but, but maybe more importantly, we can help others by what we say. Because that's the whole point of this here, where he says, "A good word maketh it makes the heart glad," you know. And uh, sometimes that good word comes from a dear friend or someone. And it might be that it's intentional. They see where we are. They see our depression. They see our need. Sometimes they see our need even before we do. And they just have that way. They just have that knack of saying something that. It's like, wow, that's just what I needed. And whenever you walk away from their presence, it's just, uh, you you just feel so much better. And uh, we've all been around people like that. If you haven't, I feel sorry for you. But I think all of us have been around people like that. And my point is, we ought to be people like that. We ought to be that kind of a person to others. Now, verse 26. The righteous is more excellent than his neighbor... But the way of the wicked seduceth them. And and to to me, the idea here is that uh, a righteous person is going to strive to live in such a way that he sets a good example for other people. And notice he says there, the righteous is more more excellent. In, In other words, whenever a person looks at the righteous person, He's seen the best. In other words, his excellence, the the excellence he sees in the righteous person is his example. It sets the example for the other person. And and by the way, somebody's looking at you. Somebody's watching you. uh, Every day someone is observing your ways. And just remember, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbor. Now quickly through the next two verses, the slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. (laughs) But the substance of a diligent man is precious. Waste not, want not. Yeah. Well, well, that takes me back to my childhood days when I heard Dad say so many times, you kill it, you eat it. And he meant it. Whether it was a metal lark or whatever it was, if we go out hunting and you shoot it, you're going to clean it and you're going to eat it. And... uh, uh, maybe you don't want to know all the things I've ate. Uh, but it's been a lot being raised in the Ozarks, you know. That was kind of our philosophy, you know. Whatever we kill, we eat. And uh, uh, But there's a good point here. The slowful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting. Uh, I mean, to be a terrible waste to go out there, let's say, and kill a bunch of quail or squirrels or rabbit or whatever and, and, and just throw them in the trash. Just waste them. And by the way, I've seen people do that. I've seen people, you know, get back from hunting and, and you know, I'm tired. Or fishing. Oh, You've you got a whole ice chest full of fish and I'm just too tired to clean them throw them away. I've seen people do that and what a terrible waste that is and and it just reminds me uh in america we are the most wasteful society i think that has ever lived on the face of the earth it is horrible if we would just you know be honest about this matter we just waste so much and I, look if if god if god makes a statement like this i've got to think that We're accountable for that. Our wastefulness, when there's people eating out of dumps in other parts of the world, and uh, the slothful man, notice, he, he uh, roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. Verse 28, and I'm through, in the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof is no death. Now, here we see the seriousness of this subject. We're talking about life and death, right? And in the way of righteousness is life. You see, it's more than a matter of just being right. It's a, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of whether our testimony before others is effectual. And so the, the question of the hour becomes, what path are you on? Notice here he's talking about the pathway thereof. That is the path of righteousness. He says in that there is no death. And using the word death there in the sense of there will be no judgment or no life taken as a result of it. So as we look at uh, this chapter tonight and think about, think about society as a whole and our part in it, it does us all good to just stop and ask ourselves, what path am I on? Uh, and if it's not the path of righteousness then it's the wrong path thank you for being here and uh...